This morning we are set to begin a brand new sermon series, and the series is titled Kingdom Come, and in it we will be working verse by verse through Acts 1 and 2 over the course of the next five Sundays. More than love your neighbor, more than forgive one another, more than give to the poor, more than anything else in all of Scripture, Jesus instructed his listeners to repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. In fact, in the 40-day window between Jesus' uh, resurrection and his ascension, he spent these 40 days talking about one thing, the kingdom of God. As a church, we live to see the day when the kingdom of God is made manifest right here in the city of Owasso. That's the vision statement of Convergent Church. Thus, it's of the utmost importance that we know what exactly this kingdom is, how it works, what our relation is to it, and so on. How will we see this vision realized if not for fully understanding it and laboring to its end? It's sort of like working a new job, which I have no shortage of experience with lately. Uh, at the end of last year, the Dameron said goodbye to vocational ministry after a good seven years and returned to Owasso uh, to, to plant Convergent Church with the BBX. It's, this is something that we had felt called to for over a decade, something we had spent countless hours uh, praying and dreaming about together. But with this transition came finding new ways for me to earn an income and to provide for my family. Outside of the church, I've worked four jobs uh, since we moved back just seven months ago. And in the midst of this flurry of new jobs, I learned very quickly the importance of knowing the answer to these following questions. When I started a new company, what is this company all about? What do they do? What is the range of their services? Two, what exactly is my role to play on this team? What's my job description? And three, how am I to labor? What are the core values? How am I to work in light of those values? Is it about the quantity of work that I'm doing or the quality of work, efficiency, or what? To carefully carry out, or to faithfully carry out the work that my employers hired me to do, it was of the utmost importance that I understood the answer to these questions. And what we're going to see in the text this morning is that when Jesus finished his work here on this earth, once he had died in our place for our sin and resurrected from the grave, he gave us an assignment. Jesus didn't just save us from something, but to something. He didn't just save us from hell, but he saved us to his kingdom. He not only saved us from our sin and its punishment, but he removed us from the kingdom of darkness and its power that it once held over us and brought us into the kingdom of light. And he gave us a new job, witnesses of his kingdom. And as we work through the text this morning, and in light of this new job, we will be asking the following questions. One, what is the kingdom of God? Two, what is our role to play in this kingdom? And three, how ought we to labor? How are we to carry ourselves? We live to see the kingdom come to the city of Owasso. And understanding the answers to these questions is the only way we will be able to labor to this end and see our vision realized, to see this dream become a reality in our midst. Our text this morning is going to be Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have it on the screen behind me as well. But first, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you acknowledging who you are, and just how unworthy we are. You are the God of all eternity, 
the uncreated one, manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who existed in perfect community and in perfect unity, having no need for anything or anyone else. Yet you created the world and all its inhabitants by the power of your word, with the breath of your Spirit, separating the day from the night, the seas from the land, furnishing the world with all kinds of wildlife, yet creating mankind in your very own image and in your likeness. And it was all very good. But from that first garden to this very moment, all of humanity has rebelled against you. Instead of delighting in you and taking you at your word, we've instead delighted in your creation and taken up trust in our own plans and our own provisions. Apart from you, Lord, there is no good in us, and thus there is no hope for the world. But we thank you that you didn't leave us to meet the end of our own demise. And instead, you sent Jesus to become our sin, to take upon himself the wrath that we deserved. He suffered and he died in our place, but then he rose and conquered sin's power over us once and for all. This is the gospel, Lord, and it is in this that we hope You said that simply by believing in the reality of the sufficiency of Christ's work that it is applied to us, that we stand holy and blameless without condemnation before you. This is the good news, and to this end you redeemed us, to reconcile us to yourself and to use us as your kingdom witnesses to an unbelieving world. We thank you for your redeeming work in us and your work through us in redeeming the city of Owasso by the power of your Holy Spirit. My prayer today, Father, is that you would give us a clearer understanding of your kingdom, the role you've called us to play in it, and the way in which you desire for us to labor. I ask all these things knowing that you are both willing and able to do these and abundantly more. So Lord, we ask that you would move in our midst this morning, Lord, that you would illuminate your word that we would leave here with a greater understanding of who you are and of all that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be hanging out in Acts 1, verses 1 through 11 this morning. So let's begin briefly looking at verses 1 and 2, discussing the introductory matters, and then we will get into answering our questions for this morning. Acts 1, verses 1 through 2. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Acts was written by Luke, who is believed to have been a physician, a doctor by vocation, who believed on this gospel and subsequently traveled with the apostles. And as such, he was an eyewitness to many of the events of the early church and ended up becoming a historian of the life of Jesus and the birth of his church. Acts is actually the second half of a two-volume set, the first being the Gospel of Luke, which is a historical record of Jesus' life and his work. From his birth to his death and resurrection, Acts then continues to tell the work of Jesus. But this time, the work is through his spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth. We see the gospel go out from 120 disciples in Jerusalem to the entirety of the known world. Luke and Acts both begin by addressing the intended recipient, that is Theophilus. Luke 1 shares the purpose of his writing these two volumes. 
In Luke chapter 1, it says, Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly count for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, scholars have varied in their understanding as to who this Theophilus was. Some believe he was a recent convert that Luke was, or that, um, that was, that Luke was discipling. But a literal translation of the name Theophilus means lover of God or friend of God. So this leads many to believe that Theophilus may not have been a literal person, but instead a symbolic name for anyone who is a recent convert or anyone who's wanting to grow in their knowledge of Jesus and his work. At any rate... Incredible and miraculous things were happening in the first century church as described in the book of Acts. And as such, the church throughout all history has returned to these first couple chapters in Acts, seeking to regain something of the early church's confidence, boldness, enthusiasm, vision, and power. And we too continue in that tradition and that pursuit today. Let's continue reading so we can arrive at our first question this morning. Let's pick up in verse 3. We see that Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's a lot happening in these five verses here, but for the purpose of our study today, we're going to get straight to the heart of the matter. We see that Jesus spent these 40 days speaking of this one thing. So our first question is, what is the kingdom of God? Given that it's what he spent the majority of his earthly ministry talking about, and then the last 40 days before his ascension, this tells us that it is very important that we understand what it is and how it grows like his disciples in this text, most of the evangelical church does not understand it. How then can we manifest in this city something that we do not understand? Before we define the kingdom of God, I thought it would be helpful for us to define what a kingdom is. It's 2021. We're here in America. Not many of us have lived under a kingdom. We've not lived in a kingdom. So stated plainly, a kingdom is a territory or realm over which a king rules. So when we speak of the kingdom of God, we are speaking of God's sovereign rule. Defining it in the simplest terms, the kingdom of God is where God's rule and his reign extends. The kingdom of God is where God's rule and where his reign extends. To understand the nature of this rule, and the extent of the realm over which he reigns, we must first understand that it exists in two parts. His kingdom is, has the invisible attribute to it and the visible, the already and the not yet. So let's look at this invisible realm. Right now, at this very moment, God is ruling in a very real way. 
Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. In Daniel 4, 3, we see King Nebuchadnezzar declare that the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom. And in Romans 13, we see how every earthly authority that exists has been established by God, whether for benevolence or for judgment. God is the creator who rules over his creation. But even more specifically, he is the king who rules in the hearts of his people. The kingdom of God is presently an invisible spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to his authority. The kingdom of God is his rule in the lives of his people by the work of his Holy Spirit. We see Jesus explain it this way to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, in John 3. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his, mother, his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is to say, unless someone believes in Jesus, that he came and lived the perfect life that they were unable to live and died the sinner's death on a cross that they deserve to die, trusting in him that all their sin is atoned for, they cannot enter this kingdom. Apart from being regenerated by and filled with the Holy Spirit and apart from being buried with Christ in the waters of baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, it's not an earthly, political, or military kingdom, but the spiritual reign of God gradually transforming individuals' lives and entire cultures through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus tells Pilate just before his crucifixion, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. This shows us then that Christ's kingdom is not a geographical point on a map. It's otherworldly. It exists in the spiritual realm. And it transcends race, nation, rank, and sex. We are told that when the invisible kingdom is consummated, when it is made visible, we will see it composed of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. The kingdom of God is already here as King Jesus is seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father, presently ruling in the hearts of his people. But it is not fully realized in the world around us yet. That's why at times you will hear uh, of God's kingdom being described as already, but not yet. Hebrews 12, 8 and 9 says, At present we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. In this passage, we have a now. We see Jesus crowned with glory, but we also have a not yet. 
and that being that not everything has been put in subjection to Christ. Jesus is the king, but his kingdom is not yet of this world. God is at work expanding his kingdom in the hearts of his people. And as this work continues, his invisible kingdom is gradually made more visible. Now for a moment, let's consider the visible realm, that which has not yet been fully realized. There is a day coming when Jesus physically, actually will return to this earth in the same way that he left. And the invisible kingdom will be made perfectly visible. Jesus will reign as king over his people in the new heavens and new earth. We see a glimpse of this in Revelation eleven fifteen, where it says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the kingdom of God. It's a present reality that's not yet fully realized. And you would think that after spending three years with Jesus, his disciples uh, would have come to know this because he spent all this time teaching of the kingdom, making it his singular focus for 40 days before his resurrection and ascension. But they didn't get it. Let's look again at verses 6 and 7. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Does something seem off there? Jesus spent all of his time talking about the kingdom of God, but instead their concern was the kingdom of Israel. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? On this point, John Calvin once said, there are as many errors in this sentence as there is words. The verb, the noun, and the adverb of this sentence all display doctrinal confusion about the very nature of the kingdom that God is building. Let's look at the verb. Will you at this time restore? This shows that they were expecting a political, territorial kingdom. The noun, Israel, this shows that they were expecting a national kingdom. And the adverbial clause, at this time. This shows that they were expecting its immediate establishment. In his reply in verses 7 and 8, Jesus graciously corrected their mistaken notions of the kingdom's nature, its extent, and its arrival. But my fear is that the church in America has completely misunderstood the nature of Christ's kingdom just as the early disciples initially did. I can't tell you how many times in this last year that I've heard a statement like this, especially since the presidential election. Whoo! It's, it's looking real bad out there. The world is about to end. Jesus is about to come back. I'm just biding my time. You see, we've become so infatuated with the earthly kingdom of America that we've lost sight of the kingdom of God. It's almost as if we see these two things as being synonymous America and the kingdom of God. We make narrow-minded statements like this looking at what's actu- without looking at what's actually happening in the world around us, paying no mind to what God is doing in other countries because we're too focused on our own political party losing traction. Never mind the fact that in other parts of the world we are seeing massive revival right now. Let's consider China. 
Christianity is currently the fastest growing religion in China with more than 38 million Protestants. And that's actually the communist government's estimates. We know that there's intense persecution at the church in China right now. And so the, the, the actual numbers believe to be much more than 38 million. But for this moment, let's run with that figure of 38 million. While it may be only 3% of their overall population, that's 22 million more Christians in China than there were just 10 years ago. Christianity has more than doubled in its size in China in 10 years. Why are we not celebrating this? Why are we not increasingly optimistic about the kingdom of God and thus the good news of Jesus extending across the globe? I think it's because sometimes we too would rather see our nation restored than the kingdom of God come. We want things to go back to the way they were when we were comfortable. You know, when the majority of the Western world looked like us, thought like us, and talked like us. You know, when a man was a man and a woman was a woman, when prayer was in schools, when Christianity was the majority, the most socially acceptable religion, and not the minority. Listen, all of those things are great blessings, but a lack of them in our nation does not mean that the world is about to end or that, the kingdom of God, or that the kingdom of God has ceased to advance. The kingdom transcends America just as it transcended Israel in the first century. And as such, we're not called to just bide our time. We're not called to hide out from the world, nor are we called to merely restore conservative values to this nation. It's much more than that. What God desires to do here in the United States, and in particular for us right here in the city of Owasso, is much more than just restore conservative values. What then are we called to? What is our role in this kingdom of God, this invisible kingdom that will one day be made perfectly visible? We see this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What is our role to play in Christ's kingdom? We are to be kingdom witnesses. God saved us and filled us with his Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the unbelieving world. You see, the Holy Spirit not only applies to us the salvation which Jesus achieved by his death and resurrection, but he empowers us to then proclaim this good news of this salvation in Jesus and his coming kingdom throughout the world. This invisible kingdom is gradually being made more visible in the unbelieving world through his disciples living lives that have been transformed by his Spirit. Let's think about the court of law. In the court of law, what does a witness do? They tell of what they have seen. They speak of what they experienced to be true in a particular situation. And friends, as a redeemed people, we have experienced some very miraculous things, the most miraculous things. That is the power of death to life. We who once hated God and we're alienated from him, have been brought near by the blood of his cross. We have good news to share with the world. 
One of the greatest and largest earthly kingdoms was the Roman Empire. At the peak, at its peak, there was nearly two million square miles of territory that spread throughout modern-day Europe, North Africa, and the Middle East. How did it come to be so massive? The Roman emperors continually sent out armies to conquer and take over new territories by force. But what was the purpose behind all of this? They did this to expand their kingdom and the reign of their Caesar. Once they had overthrown the territory and obtained control of it, they would make this new territory as much like Rome as possible. They would construct Roman temples and institute Roman religion, which involved the worship of Caesar. They would institute Roman education and propagate the Roman arts and culture. They would do everything in their power to make this new territory just like Rome. Why did they do this? So that when the Caesar came to the territory, he would feel at home because it was just like his own home. We have been given the Spirit of God to bear witness of Christ and His kingdom to our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, and our community. The kingdom of God comes to earth not by the sword nor by excessive force, but by the Spirit through kingdom witnesses, bearing witness to all that they had seen and experienced of the goodness of God. John Calvin said, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. This invisible kingdom is not just going to appear suddenly, but it happens gradually as we go out as kingdom witnesses. And when we say that we live to see the kingdom of God made manifest on earth, we're, that is to say that we long to see heaven come to earth. God's government God's teaching, worship of God, glory of God, and power. His power manifested right here in the city of Owasso, just as it is in heaven. It is to this end that we labor because after all, just as the Caesar was once going to go into that new territory, so one day our king is coming back here. We can also take note of how the witnesses went forth. It began right in Jerusalem. It began right where they were at. And it's the same for us today. It begins right here for us in the city of Owasso, where we live, where we work, where we have community. This is how the kingdom of God comes to our city. But it doesn't just stop here. From us, then, it should radiate out. We see here that it went from Jerusalem to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and ultimately the ends of the earth. And so we are laboring to see this kingdom of God, to see the rule of Christ in his people affecting the way that we live our lives in the city of Owasso, but it doesn't just stop there. We hope that it goes out to the city and to the state 
into our nation and ultimately to the nations of this earth until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. To this end, we labor. To this end, we long to see the kingdom come. So, now we know what the kingdom of God is. Now we know what our role is to play as witnesses of that kingdom. How ought we to carry ourselves in this endeavor? How ought we to carry ourselves as kingdom witnesses? Let's look at verses uh, 9, 10, and 11. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Our king is coming again in the same way that he left. So how ought we to labor? We labor in a victory that is already secured. We labor in confidence knowing that the same way that this Jesus left the earth, he is sure to return to consummate all things once his witnesses have completed the task at hand. Have you ever been asked this question? What would you do if you could not fail? If you had the necessary resources and your success was guaranteed, what would you do? Over the last several months, I've been asked this question several times in interviews. And though it often seems silly because success seldom seems guaranteed in this life, but our success is certain. With certainty, we know that Jesus is going to return. So none of our labor is in vain. There is no failing for the witnesses that go forth proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, telling of what they have experienced, telling of how their life has been transformed. Here's another example. Imagine you're playing cards. Now, I know that there's a lot of Baptists in this room, but let's just pretend that, that you're playing a game of poker You've got some money invested in this thing, and you've got a royal flush sitting in your hands. You've got the best hand possible. That's five consecutive cards of the same suit in order of value from 10 through to ace. Wouldn't you go all in? If you knew that your success was certain, wouldn't you put all of your life, all of your savings, everything on the table because you knew that your success was certain? My friends, that is what each and every one of us has as we go out into this earth as kingdom witnesses. We have this assurance of success that the word of God will not return void. We have a assurance that once the task is completed, once his witnesses have gone forth and proclaimed the gospel and baptized in his name, after all, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go, therefore. Once this has happened, in the same way that he left, he's going to return to consummate all things. And then this invisible kingdom that has gradually been moving forward will be made perfectly and finally and totally visible perfectly realized King Jesus will be here. In light of this, we need not do what these early disciples initially did. That is to say, we need not just stand and stare. We ought not to be complacent like much of the evangelical church is today, being tossed 
around by whatever is happening in our nation. We belong to a kingdom that transcends this earth. So we don't stand and stare, but we live as sent ones and share. We share the good news of this King Jesus and his kingdom that is to come. There was something fundamentally anomalous about their gazing into the sky when they had been commissioned to go to the ends of the earth. It was the earth, not the sky, which ought to have been their preoccupation. Their calling was to be witnesses, not stargazers. The vision they were to cultivate was not upwards in nostalgia, but to heaven, which had received Jesus, but outwards in compassion to a lost world which needed him. And it is the same for us. Curiosity about heaven and its occupants, speculation about prophecy and its fulfillment, and obsession over these times and seasons, these are aberrations which distract us from our God-given mission. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom, which will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, is a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Convergent Church, we live to see the kingdom of God made manifest in this city. We live to see his kingdom and his rule and his power become a present reality in this city. We live to see a city redeemed by the gospel. We live to see God's governance, his teaching, his worship, and his glory and his power manifested here in our city, in our county, in our state, our nation, and ultimately all the nations of the earth until he returns. And that starts right here, and that starts right now with us. What are we going to do? We belong to this otherworldly kingdom that is not of this world. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to bear witness of what God has done in our lives. He didn't just save us from hell, but he saved us to his kingdom. And he has made us participants and witnesses in that to see the gospel go forth. And more than that, he has secured the victory. Success is certain. So may we resolve this day to be kingdom witnesses sharing the good news of Jesus and all that he has done with our families, our friends, our co-workers, and our community until every knee bows in the city and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. It is to this end that we labor to see a city transformed by the gospel. So what are we going to do with it? Will we be complacent stargazers looking up in nostalgia of what our nation here in America has been? Or will we remember that our kingdom is still to come? And will we labor to that end? Let's go before the Lord and ask him to help us to do this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy and set apart is your name. God, in our prayer is that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done right here in Owasso, just as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to become our sin, that we could become his righteousness. 
We thank you for not only removing sin and its curse, not only removing the punishment of hell, but saving us to your kingdom where we get to dwell with you eternally, forevermore, in perfect harmony, with no more fighting, with no more grief, with no more sin, with no more sorrow, with no more death. God, we thank you that you have made us participants in this. God, that you not only saved us, but you gave us a job to do, to be your witnesses to this city, to this county, to this state, to this nation, and ultimately to all the nations of the earth. And God, we thank you that we labor in a victory that's already been secured for us. So God, what do we have to lose? We have everything to gain. God, your kingdom is not expanded by political or military force. But your kingdom is, is expanded when people submit to your rule over their lives, when they submit to your lordship. So God, will you do this in this city? Will you help us to be a city transformed? God, as beautiful as this city is, as many cool things as there is to do, God, we don't want to merely be pretty on the outside. God, we need to be renewed on the inside. So God, will you, by your spirit, lead us from this place to be your witnesses? May we labor to see your rule and your reign come over this city to where it looks more and more like heaven. Lord, we long for this day and we labor for this day. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.